Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the 16mm Film Crew Podcast. I'm Cindy. And I'm Dale. You can watch us on YouTube. You can like and comment on our YouTube videos and subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can support us on Anchor. You can listen to us everywhere podcasts are found at 16mm Film Crew Podcast. And make sure you leave a rate and review. You can visit us on our website at www.16millimeterfilmcrew.com. So this week we are doing kind of like a little blast from the past or a gearing up, depending on how you want to look at it, of The Crown. We're going to be going over all four seasons of The Crown. Um, And here is your synopsis. So based on an award-winning play, The Audience, by showrunner Peter Morgan, this lavish Netflix original drama chronicles the life of Queen Elizabeth II from the 1940s to modern times. The series begins with an inside look at the early reign of the queen, who ascended to the throne at the age 25 after the death of her father, King George VI. As the decades pass, personal intrigues, romances, and political rivalries are revealed that played a big role in events that shaped the latter years of the 20th century. So, Dale, how do you feel about this series? I feel like you've been watching it for a while. I feel like especially now in light of everything that's going on in the world and stuff it's an interesting show especially now they're refreshing or like looking back at it so far while we wait for like the next two seasons um which i think are being are going to be cl- more closer to like the the late 80s 90s to now for like the last two seasons um so it was good to go back and rewatch or even recap and finish um season um four for me um I don't know. I feel like it was, it was good decision for us to do this because, especially with the stuff going on with the they're touring overseas and you got different countries like, yo, we don't want y'all to be heads of state anymore. It was kind of you know, apropos that we're going back and talking about this series, especially the fact that if you watch these series, the series from season one, they've always had these issues with other countries. Like there was the issue with the Suez Canal, where people wanted their independence to take ownership of the Suez Canal. You have the issue with um. Falcon Islands, where you know Argentina won independence. So yeah, it's very kind of really timely that we decided to go back and watch this. Yeah, I feel the same way. I feel like this series when I think it came out in twenty seventeen. So there wasn't like a bunch of conversations about like the royal, the British royal family at that time. Like I think the biggest thing was like Harry and Meghan were getting together. But as the years have progressed their family has been more and more in the news and not in a good light. So it's very interesting to have what's going on in the real world be somewhat dramatized and kind of mirrored in what's going on in this show. I watched a documentary called Keeping the Crown, which kind of covers all of the royal families from around the world. It's like a couple, it's like a six-part docuseries over the weekend. And I got much more context of like what actually it takes to keep something that is so archaic like like monarchy consistent in a world that's changing like that's just completely changed um so that was really interesting and it gave me kind of a little bit more context to this show because this show really focused it focuses on the family but it also it also focuses on um queen elizabeth and her prime ministers like that's kind of the main meat of like what the show is about um, so it's very interesting just kind of seeing like the political side of it because 
the monarchy doesn't have like political power so it's very it's a very weird thing to kind of like wrap your head around but i think it's very interesting to watch the show yeah yeah so i guess but um yeah go ahead sorry i didn't mean to cut you off no no i was sending it your way (laughs) yeah so um in watching the show like what has like stuck out to you so far i guess as far as their like portrayal or any opinions like you have with the show i don't know (laughs) thanks for your question dale uh (laughs) (laughs) um i think what's interesting is that trying to recreate history is a very that's kind of that's kind of hard especially when people know so much about a certain group or like a family certain people like it's very hard to like try to recreate stuff because you know the history of it and then what this show tries to do is kind of fill in all of those moments in between like the stuff that you would you wouldn't get to know like behind closed doors conversations relationships stuff that isn't broadcast that's what the show kind of does so they kind of tell you like all the private stuff or they try to imagine what those conversations would be like i think that it's interesting that like Spencer came out because Spencer does a better job at this, I think, because they don't presume like they know what happened. They're basically saying like, this is a fantasy. Like we're just guessing. Um, we know the, we know the events, but we're kind of making our own thing up of like how these people would be feeling. I think the crown does that to a certain extent, but then I also feel like they kind of take it a step further in almost presuming like they could know what would be happening in these rooms or in, or between certain characters. And I don't know how that's gonna like square up, especially as we get into the later seasons. It, it worked in the earlier seasons because that's history that most people don't know like when the queen came to the to the crown she was that was like in 1953 like no one really remembers that stuff so it's it was good and it kind of worked in that way because you were learning things now that we're like we've gotten to diana market thatcher we're getting all that stuff stuff that was heavily reported on it is going to be kind of weird for them to kind of try to you know presume as if they know a lot of information just because there is so much information out there. I think that's kind of... And that's one of the things I think, you know, as we, we watch in the progression of the show, especially season one, how they talk about the firm a lot and how it's people managing the crown and how they operate to keep their personal lives out of public eye. And as we see time progress and as we see the show, like I'm in like real world time in the show, we see the firm has been a lot looser in a way with the humanity of the crown and so i guess that you're right to nowadays like all the older stuff like stuff like the 1950s like we really don't know about like i was watching um you know those old new serial newsreels they have yeah. one where they, they they show you everything from like all the real world things from the crown and basically mm-hmm. like you gotta use they're basically like using those to fill the gaps like oh you know prince edward i mean not prince edward um uh the duke oh his friend is leaving and you kind of got to fill in the gaps as to why he's leaving and stuff like that which honestly credit to those archival footage still existing to give them referential stuff for the show um but yeah like and you're right to your credit like when you say when it starts to get more modern times like 
like when you talk about Diana, like even though like when the whole Diana Prince um Charles thing started, I wasn't born, but I caught the tail end, like after they had divorced and died. As a kid, like I can remember like my parents watching the news of you know the whole uh, tunnel thing. Like those Diana moments I thought we would have more of. It's just basically a couple of shots of her, whereas I did like you said, I appreciate Spencer more clearly. Spencer gave us more time to dwell on Diana, especially with that time period, Diana was a big part of it. Like it's almost how I view it watching it is how you see a lot of time where you have Princess Margaret being the charismatic, uh, outspoken person who draws people in, whereas Elizabeth's always reserved. You see that kind of repeated again as it's always been an issue. Every time Margaret made an appearance, everybody fawned over her because she was just so like she drew you in and you have that happen with Diana. Diana goes on a tour with Charles. Diana draws people in. You see it now, you know, Meghan Markle. Like Meghan Markle draws people in. There's always there's always been that struggle with the crown of people in the family kind of naturally having that presence that they've always tried to suppress in a way. So mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's so funny because, like, when that Meghan Markle stuff was happening, people kept, like, referring to the show as if it was, like, a historical, like, variable, like, source. And it's not. Like, it's, it's a drama series. But that's funny to me because that, to me, just shows, like, I think that despite how anyone feels about it, it is a very well put together show, very well researched and executed. So it is a good show. Like, it really is. And I think people, like they go to that because they're because the royal family is like historically very tight-lipped like they don't i was listening to this podcast where they were talking about um princess diana her and her life and death right and basically the guy was saying that like because the royal family aren't like politicians so we don't get like press conferences or like interviews with them we don't really know anything about about them for real or what they're doing because they're not like they're public figures but they're not public figures like it's a very that's something the thing is so weird it's like they're celebrities but they don't want to be celebrities it's very strange like the whole thing is just strange but um i think it's interesting that the least this show kind of gives them some type of personality like you know they try to give the characters or the people that we know like character like we kind of because i feel like they're they're so statuesque and like figurehead ish that you don't really know anything so it's very good to have something like this because i feel like everyone wonders like oh what are these people like like what are they up to and then you realize that they're kind of just boring people but (laughs) they're because they try to maintain maintain a very put together image all of the cracks, you know, with if it's with people or if it's with the institution itself, it's like all of those cracks do end up showing. And it's interesting in the last, in the third season, where Princess Margaret is telling Elizabeth, like, your job is to cover up the cracks so people don't see, like, what the issues are. Because um, it's not like, again, it's not like she has real power where she can, like, do something about anything. It's just, like we have to pretend like everything's great because the world's such a mess which I don't I don't know how I feel about that I don't think that really makes sense I don't know it's it's weird because and I think and I think and 
how do I want to phrase this? Like people say, like we're celebrity. I think the world as a whole, culture as a whole, is a bit celebrity obsessed. But I think mm. it's different when it comes to royal family. One, like mm. you've said before, we're in a different time period where those, you know, the idea of royalty and a small group of people running a country even worse with the royal family because they don't really run the country. Like this mm. is <laughs> weird, and but mm. and also because we don't know anything about them, so there, our our curiosity with them is always more than the standard celebrity curiosity. You know, and then, and then going back to when, you know, you said when, like, stuff happened with, like, Dom, Mike, and Marco, they are using the show as a reference point. That's honestly our only reference point we have, especially mm-hmm. considering whenever a royal dies, for, like, they hold all their um, documents and wills and all their diaries. Yeah. And stuff. They hold it, like, a, a century. Like, mm-hmm. you've got to wait 100 years, like... To see all that stuff, and and by the time that those moments pass, like, like, like it's like we're talking like we don't really care about the nineteen fifties that much. It's not interested. So by the time all these documents are sealed, like think about like you know the queen. The queen has been around for almost what seven, like almost seven century, like seven years, seventy years, almost as a figurehead. Out to all those documents, letters, you know, all the stuff. Like when she dies, to be sealed away from like. A, a, a hundred years like I ain't never gonna read like find out the things I wanted to find out about like her opinions on Diana and everything like we're never going to know these things so that's why I think shows like this and even shows that parody the whole royal family I think Elizabeth Hurley, or Hurley had one at one point like those shows like shows like this are we were drawn in by them you know anything has to do with the royal family any kind of information we get we're gonna absorb it because we get we know nothing about them so yeah. Well, I guess it'd be a good time to kind of go through each season, I guess, and just see what was like the standout for me season. The first season was like really airtight. Like it was so good. I really enjoyed it. And I think I watched it in one day. <laughs> I was at Oakwood in my dorm and I just watched that from like 10 in the morning until whenever it was over. That's like 10 hours of television. But, um, I think Claire Foy was so good in the role. Claire Foy, Matt Smith, that whole dynamic, and um, oh, what is her name? Vanessa Kirby. Yeah, yeah, they were tight. Like I really bought in. Like, and I fully bought that they that their marriage was like really interesting because it's like you have a very like macho man who's married to a woman who is literally his boss. Like that was interesting. And then you had the dynamic with the sisters of like. Margaret probably is a better fit for a leadership role, but she isn't in the leadership role. Elizabeth is, and she doesn't even really want it. And that whole thing with the dad, it was just really good. Um, I really liked the episode where um, it's her coronation, it's Elizabeth's coronation, and you had the uncle who was supposed to be King, King Edward, I think, giving kind of like commentary on it. And basically, the people at the house where he's, like, talking, and as they're watching it, they're like, why would anybody want this? <laughs> and he's just like, no, people want magic. You know, they don't They don't want, like, to see a real person. They want to see, like, the, the whole... Illusion. The illusion. And I was like, oh, that's interesting, because you're... Yeah, 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 that, that makes sense. And um, that was a really good episode. And also the final episode where... Um, Margaret is trying to marry Peter and she can't. 
and you saw that whole back and forth of like trying to be a queen but also like having to be the head of all these other institutions in that struggle and then I think there's a line where Matt Smith is saying like be a human being and she gets really offended and like just walks away but it's true it's, and I think maybe in terms of like interpreting real people I think that they don't exactly give Elizabeth like the real Elizabeth like enough credit in terms of like her humanity I think people have always seen her as like a very like cold distant woman and I think she to some degree has been just because she's like a more reserved personality but I also think that she's probably very emotional she just doesn't she just knows how to control it like she's learned after all of these years how to put certain things in check like she's a mom and she's a wife but she's also the head of a of a nation like so she has to do her job and i think she's very definitive on how and keeping those two things separate and i think because she does that people don't understand that and they just think she's just like a personality-less individual but i don't think she is and i think olivia coleman actually does a great job of humanity of humanizing her more in the fourth season um then you'll probably then we probably then we have seen in the past seasons. I think she Olivia does like a better job at like giving her more emotion. But yeah, uh, that that first season, you know, is mostly um, for the most part dealing with like it's it's weird. Like that season is actually the crux of how um, most marriages go for the most point. I mean, mm-hmm. before she had like the responsibility, everything was fine, you know, they were contented, and then responsibility comes. And then, you know, when people in marriages have jobs, responsibilities, that creates friction in it. And you see them trying to balance their, you know, relationship as husband and wife, but also understand that I have superiority over you. How do you, as a man, you know, accept that? And you see the lengths he goes to, like, the supposed affairs he had with other people and how she, even though wants to emote and be expressive, she has to reserve like be reserved and not show any cracks. Um like it's it's and then she also leans on Winston Churchill as a way and like a surrogate father figure. Yeah, she's mm. in her early tw- she's in her early twenties taking the reins after her father just died. So it's all those interpersonal interactions. I think like honestly, like like I'm just when I say season one, I'm also kind of counting season two to agree. Um, mm. I think honestly, as far as his like acting career, playing um the Duke, um that was probably Matt Smith's like best work. Like how he like like how he was able to portray him, and then you know you have season two that transition into actually you know what fine I must step up and do my responsibility as a man and stop my foolishness out. Those like how they kind of and. You see, I can see with the rest of the show where, you know, Philip goes from, you know, the bad guy in the first two seasons to, like, transitions to a good guy like Elizabeth's staunchest defender and stuff like that. Like, um, Vanessa Kirby, like, her, like, expressing those, like, emotions, like, that sadness of not being able to get what she wants. And then most people are like, oh, but you're still a princess. You still have money, but she just wants mm. happiness. And every time she gets her happiness, the crown is like, nah, your sister comes first. You can't do what you want to do like oh you want to marry like a former bodyguard nah you can't do that because he work he works in the, the castle 
yo, you want to, you know, you want to do, you know, your personal portrait with a photographer? Nah, can't do that. Like, her life was just so slowly, like, restricted. And I, like, it is weird. Cause I think the, like, I think how they're portrayed, they're they're supposed to be around the same age. And as I see, like I said, the season goes on, you see them becoming very common, like with siblings. Like, in the when you're young with your siblings, you're always very antagonistic. But when you get older, you find a common ground. Like, I think had their, like, King George not died, and they still progressed forward with the show with, you know, probably Queen Elizabeth much older, if their relationship, especially in these early stages that we saw, wouldn't be as fractured. You know? Mm. But yeah, season season yeah, one, season one is, like, amazingly word well mm-hmm. done with his with his character dynamics you know yeah and uh, season two is really good too i think because you start to see like how the world is changing and so it's more like season one was dealing with issues within the family and then season two is dealing with issues that are external so like all of the po- politics are changing people's attitudes towards the crown are changing and so they're having to deal with that um i did i think i liked let to see which episode was, like, the best for me out of that season. Um, I don't know. Maybe the one where her, where Vanessa Kirby and Claire Four are having that conversation after the baby is born, and they're, like, and she know, and Elizabeth knows, like, your man is cheating on you, and he's kind of a mess, and she's, like, I don't care. Like, I will not listen to this. I will marry this person. Um... And you see the ramifications of that marriage, like, as it disintegrates in the, in the next couple of seasons. But that was interesting to me. But also, like, Elizabeth's relationship with her prime ministers, where it's more like they keep coming and going, and she really hates that because it's like, I need consistency, and you guys, I'm here doing my job, and y'all aren't. And I was like, ooh, girl, Philly. Like, she's that, like, one person in the group project who was, like, doing all the work. And everyone else is just like, all right, I'll show up at the presentation. And you're like, wait a minute. <laughs> you need, we need the input. Hello. We need to work together on this one. So that was just, as that person in the group projects, I felt her on that <laughs> one. Um, and then season three, a lot of people say that they don't like season three at all. But I actually thought it was very good because we get Josh O'Connor as Prince Charles. And Prince Charles is a very interesting person. Like, there is so much in that. And I was and I was really glad that they chose him because he got it, like, the voice, the mannerisms, everything. He got it down pat. Like, that was a great performance. Um, and I think that you can see, like, one of the biggest things in the show is showing that, like, these people are extremely privileged and yet most of them are just like prisoners to a system that they don't really want to change or they feel like they can't change and it's so interesting because it's like you have to have some degree of sympathy for them because it's like y'all are y'all are all like being host like hostiles but not hostiles hostages to this system and it's just like well if you're the head of the system you could change it if you wanted to but I don't know. It just seems like they don't want to do it or like they can't do it. It's very interesting. Yeah, like with season two into like season three, you know, you do have like, you know, the first season is kind of post World War Two and that progression. Mm-hmm. You see out of especially with season two and season three, you see the world 
has become a lot smaller in a way like you're dealing with the Suez Canal in season two, you're dealing with the moon landing, you're dealing with, you know, um, I guess uh, the, the evaluation of the pound in season three, you're dealing with all the, like, you're dealing with uh, that, uh, that coal mine disaster, you're dealing with the death of, uh, you know, Winston Churchill, you're dealing with um, the death of um, Lyndon B. Johnson. You kind of see that progression, like the world has slowly changing, but like you said before, the crown and the, though the powers that be refused to adapt and change with it. Like, and you're right, Prince Charles, probably as a human being, like people saying, people said like re, re-watching the crown and watching the shows, realize, people have re-realized like, oh, Charles is a bit of an asshole and a dick and they don't want him mm-hmm. to be king. Like they, they really don't want him to be king at all, even though he might be there for a short like time period. Like, like they're worried, like oh, if he's there to like like ten or twenty years, what damage could he do? Because you've seen like the track mm. record of him, like especially in British media, being kind of a selfish person, and mm. and the show does a good balancing act, especially in these two, like especially season three, less so in season yeah. four because Charles, you see Charles doesn't change or grow as an individual, unlike his father, and the progression between season one, two, and three, you see his father mature, and you know mm-hmm. get his party in check. You don't see that with Prince Charles. Like in season three and parts of season two, you can kind of really sympathize with him, you know, as a kid. Like he's just a kid. He just wants to be himself, but he's thrust upon this like weight. Whereas Elizabeth, you know, she had time to grow and grow into it, you know, like her father was still there as a binding president. And also you gotta understand how we treat um women and men is kind of different. Like they kind of softballed, I think kind of softballed Elizabeth's ascension. You know, to the crown, whereas Prince Charles, like, yo, you're a man, you're going to be king. Get your shit together, like, right now. Mm-hmm. You know, he didn't have a chance to be those moments. Like, at least Elizabeth, like she mentions with her father there, she still had a chance to actually be a girl, be a kid. You know, Charles is, like, mm-hmm. going to boarding school, being fed documents. And so you can, under, you can empathize as to why he becomes a selfish person. Like, he never got the opportunity to do something. So I can, like... In the grand scheme of things, I could empathize him, but then looking back, I was like, okay, you're now an adult. You're no longer a child. You have, at a certain point, you have to, like, come to the fact, like, yes, there is damage done to me. And it's hard. Damage is done to you, but you have to move beyond that damage and deal with it in a mature way. And he constantly doesn't, as we witness in the crowd. He lashes out in a, in a horrible, horrible ways. So, yeah, but Joshua yeah. Carter is probably the standout character in, like, the season, like, three four three and four so Mm -hmm. he was amazing um i think that it's interesting that you said that because that is true i feel like when you grow up with so much privilege and no one real there's no there was no real pushback like nobody was telling him not to do anything so you have a whole bunch of stuff that you didn't earn so you don't even have like an appreciation for what you have for real and you're kind of giving like carte blanche to just do whatever you want <laughs> like within the boundaries of obviously like being a prince but like that's a very weird way to that's a very strange childhood especially if your mom is not really around because she's busy and then your dad is trying to force you to like be just another version of himself it's a very weird to it's a very weird way to grow up so it kind of makes sense that he is the way he is honestly but again like you're saying when you're an adult you have to kind of grow up and you need to kind of take charge of the things that's happened to you in your past and 
try to be better. And I don't really think that anything was going to change for him until Diana died. I think that was probably the the point where he was like, oh, maybe. I, and, and now I have to be a single parent to these kids and I have to like really step up and meet the moment because their their mother is gone and I have to be responsible. So it's very it's a very interesting thing. But that didn't happen until he was like, what in his 40s so like yeah it's a long time to be very like selfish and pompous and all the other things that he is and i think he probably still carries a lot of that around even though i think he's probably he's probably better than he is now like now than he was back then but who who can really know because again we don't know these people like that so but um yeah no sorry i was thinking out loud sorry go ahead i apologize No, I was like you. You say that like, and I realize the the thing with also the the crown is I realize that relationship with him and his father. His father grew up in a drastically different time period than him. Like his father, his father was growing up like during and post World War Two. So Mm -hmm. that impetus of a young man to kind of grow up faster and become a man was probably more ingrained for him to take up responsibility. And so that's why you kind of see that switch. Like once, you know, you know, Elizabeth becomes queen, he thought he'd be able to actually live out his youth, you know, be able to be a man and be able to be young. But then he's kind of like, oh, now you're the prince. So now you got to, you know, fly right, do that. And so I guess you can see he's trying to force Charles into that wing. Like, I don't want you to have to suddenly switch. I want you to be ready and prepared for these moments because I wasn't and almost like destroyed the country or my marriage. And another amazing dynamic of it, of this show that we'll see like further on later on in the seasons is the fact that I think one of the prime ministers gets sick and they're like, Oh, we have to hand over the ruling of the country to younger men. And it's just another gray haired old white guy. Like I find that so funny with, with yeah, politics, yeah. with politics, like, Oh, we need younger men to take over. Bro, you was still 60 years old. What do you mean by younger men? You might not be 80, but you 60, bro. Like, what are you talking? So I I, was, I found that, you know, that transition in season three funny. Enough. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay, let's get to season four, because that's, like, the good, like, that's the... Like, after season one, season one, the season four is probably the best season. But season four, we get... Charles Diana marriage we get the kids and we get Margaret Thatcher um one of the things that really stood out to me is um conservative feminism in terms of you have these two women who are in the seats of power over the entire country and who demand the respect that their positions um I guess require but who don't think that women should be in leadership roles. That is very interesting to me. I still don't, I can't compute how that makes sense. But a lot of the conversations that Elizabeth and uh, Margaret were having, allegedly again, because we don't know, but where Margaret was like, no, I don't think that women should be like leaders and doing all of their stuff or have any role in my cabinet which is like, girl, why? You're the leader of the country. That doesn't make sense. But it's still framed within the time period that these women grew up in, where it's like women are were supposed to be 
second tier to men and know their place. But we get to be in these positions. And it's like, well, how does how does that work, sis? Like, why are you special? It's very strange. But I thought it was interesting. I thought all of their conversations were interesting. And that whole Jillian Anderson is like, she's dope. Like, she's an amazing actress. But yeah, that whole thing is so weird. And then also coming into the 80s where Margaret Thatcher, along with Ronald Reagan, were creating this very like privatized consumerism, capitalist is like the best thing that can ever happen to all of us type of systems that would ruin all of our lives for the years afterwards. But, you know, that's where that stuff was started. (laughs) That's where it started. That was interesting because Britain was obviously like, it was a mess. Like people were rioting in the streets. There were strikes everywhere. And it wasn't until Charles and Diana got married where things started to kind of cool down. But like, if that didn't happen, Bryn would, I don't know if they would be able to come out of the mess that they were in. Like it was pretty deep seated and people really did not like monarchy. Like they really couldn't stand the fact that there was a queen. I, I do like, um, this season, season four, you know, going out of its way and um, prioritizing and focusing. Like, we think the show this season is mostly about, you know, Diana, the Queen, and um, Margaret Thatcher. As far as the main focus in this, in this season are those three women. But it's honestly four because Princess Margaret, played by Helen Parton Carter, plays a big part in it. Like, the show focuses on how power and position all affect these women differently. Mm-hmm. Like how like you have Margaret Thatcher talking about how she thought her mother was weak and you know her father essentially kind of grooming her as a boy and that kind mm-hmm. of changed her viewpoints. Like you said, she doesn't want to have, have any women in her cabinet. But then her herself strove and fought to be at the top of political power but she doesn't want to you know bring up other women into those positions it's kind of like mm-hmm. it's kind of like a weird position like oh use me as an example but y'all can stay back there and just watch like and then you have you know at this moment uh queen elizabeth's trying to balance you know dealing with rising issues in london and within her family you have you know um her son being an idiot newlywed who's constantly like she's being the mother-in-law who's constantly hearing her son and daughter-in-law arguing and you know trying to help out a failing marriage there and in her in their failing marriage she reflects upon her own marriage with her husband you have you know diana going from an 18 year old girl like just graduated high school like in the u.s she just graduated high school suddenly Mm -hmm. coming and push into this limelight that you're unprepared for. And you can kind of see like, this is not, even though she's Royal adjacent in a way, none of this lifestyle really fits her personality. Like her sister goes, Oh, she volunteers at a school. Oh, she's my cleaner. Like being like, like, and I think that's, I'm glad they told us that. Cause I didn't know that, but you can see like through progression in Diana's life in real life, her viewpoint was always service. Like, no matter what. Mm. So having to adjust your personality from being a lifestyle or willing service to then become, you know, being served is a weird dynamic. And then she always tries to, you know, express or care and attention to Prince Charles. But 
in expressing that care and attention, Prince Charles takes us, you're stealing the limelight from me, and his ego gets damaged. And you have Princess Market dealing with falling out of her marriage, husband cheating on her, and then trying to recapture some of that passion and love. It's like, it's a, it's a, it's a big dynamic of how all these experiences of all these women are all vastly and different, but they're still in adjacent and have power. Like, I loved how the show did that because usually when shows portray women in power they show them in power and nothing is wrong or they show them they show them as like more so like margaret thatcher where they're i'm a i'm a powerful i'm the head uh i'm the head you know b word in charge blah 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 like that kind of thing they never show the the multifaceted dynamics that women go through and i, I love that this past season season four for that yeah um i think that well, I think because people are having like a Diana renaissance, mm-hmm. um, I think people know a lot more about her life. Um, kind of in the time where this season four was premiering and around like around that time, especially now. And I think that there is a few issues I have with how they portrayed Diana and the marriage. I feel like they probably read like the same docu or the same book and then they probably watched like the same couple of documentaries um because there was stuff in there where i was like um that's not even accurate and it's not and it's ac- it is not accurate to the point where it's like if you changed it and made it accurate it would have been fine like it wouldn't have shifted your um the storylines or anything like that you could have kept those things the same if you just would have replaced because you know some people change things for dramatic effect and that's what you, I guess you have to like leave certain things out and keep things, certain things in because it's a show. Mm-hmm. But I also feel like there are certain things that didn't make sense that would have, it wouldn't have changed anything in terms of like how you were going to pace it or whatever. The prime example is when Charles and Diana go to Australia, they bring William, baby William with them. And no, that had never happened before. But the way they frame it is the way that it was portrayed in the media at the time where it was like Diana refuses to go on this trip without her baby and that literally was not how it happened the people in Australia who were organizing the trip said hey why don't you bring your baby with you that's how that happened it wasn't like she was demanding like to not go on the trip if she did not have her child but I think those little inaccuracies kind of feed in a certain image of Diana of like she was trying to boss Charles around. She was trying to like have things happen her way or or no way. And that really wasn't the situation. Like Diana for a long time in the marriage, from my understanding and my research of what she's done, was trying to be very subservient to this man. Like whatever he wanted to do, she tried to, to amend to that. But it didn't work because one, they're completely different ages and her whole, I, and I think her whole thing of like, I need to do everything that you say wears off when it seems like her husband doesn't even care about her. Like that's kind of where the thing kind of cut off where it's like, I'm not going to listen to you. You clearly don't care about my well being. But in the beginning, she was down to do whatever he wanted to do. So it's very, I don't like that kind of narrative of Diana just like, being bossy and crazy like that's not that wasn't what was going on but I also don't like the fact that 
one we didn't see the wedding that was kind of stupid <laughs> i was like y'all gonna show everything else you show her the wedding dress but you don't show the wedding that's stupid but um i also don't like certain things that happen like within their whole dynamic of like no not the not their dynamic sorry in terms of diana's service work i think that there they left so much stuff out and i that made me really angry because i'm just like Diana was more than her eating disorders like she was more than her troubled marriage like she really did a lot of work work that most of the people in the royal family were not doing like AIDS victims stuff like that nobody in the royal family was even touching that stuff and she's the one who did that and I feel like it's a disservice to her to not put those things in but you but put in all of the kind of you know the very dramatic troubling issues which yes we all know but it feels like we have it, it feels like we should have focused more on her work which we didn't because we were talking about the drama of the marriage failing you got maybe two episodes like the last two episodes of the season where you got to actually see diana in her job as actually like helping out people going to visit new york and harlem and these displaced places like you got that at the end and I guess they'll do more with it um, in the second season, or I mean, in season five, they'll do more with that. But you know, the timeline's kind of running out. Like she's gonna, however they're gonna chop up the next two seasons, like she will die at some point. So I just feel like we should have seen more of that because not adding that just doesn't feel like an accurate portrayal of who Diana was. So yeah especially, especially considering like we and i think that's done on purpose because we know more about diana post divorce when she was able to become like her own yeah. individual thing um and the thing was to me like i like until watching like this seat that season four until watching diana i wasn't aware of her you know eating disorder and i don't think a lot of people were um and i think the major source for the stuff between her and charles and in the show and in the movie Spencer with Kirsten was the book um Diana in her own words. Like yeah. the story, the story on the writing of that book from the writer was like, yeah, a lot of the stuff in the book it might be the writing, but it's actually autobiography technically because Diana was actually recording and writing letters and telling him yeah. everything. So um yeah, Diana's like a very like tragic like person like someone someone you really feel like sad for in like the entirety of like her, her royal life and i say royal life i mean just the time from charles until like her death mm -hmm. like she never really got to express the full happiness that she wanted and i think that's also very poignant like in rewatching it now like you can you can rewatching it now and like and uh, this is the point where like you can see there are crack. They're not cracks. Which there are points in watching a show like that. Obviously, fictionalized to a degree, but you see, oh, there's a chance that you know Charles is getting his shit together and they could actually work this out. And then, like ten seconds later, he's he's back to his assholery. Like they're talking in Africa after playing with you know William, and he's like, you know, I go to her because. I feel like you don't understand me. Well, I feel like you don't understand me. And you you think you're reaching that commonality in a relationship where you could have proper, healthy dialogue. And then 10 seconds later, it's like, yeah, people love you, Diana, while I'm playing polo. And then he goes back to Camilla. So, 
Yeah. Yeah. I think, it, I mean, it would, I don't think it was ever going to work. And I think that's the sad part about it. I don't, I mean, yeah, it's just, I just don't think it was ever going to work. There was a huge age difference and it was explained that Charles, even though he was only 12 years older than her, because of how he's grown up, he's like a lot more mature. He was like a 50 year old in a 32 year old body and she was 19. So like, was it, there was always going to be like a huge difference there. They were both broken people. Like Diana, if you read her biographies, the girl is very, I mean, she's a cancer. I think that kind of explains, and so am I. So I get it. Like the girl is like very, very complicated. She does things that make sense. And then she does things that you're like, why would you ever like she threw her stepmother down the stairs like that's real like that's the energy diana's on so she's on some next stuff right but she also is like a very loving brother and like very generous with her time and her energy and stuff like that to other people but that's a that's a toxic relationship like that was not gonna work out and i think the fact that the parents queen elizabeth and prince charles didn't step up early enough to kind of deal with the issues as they were seeing them but waited until things were so bad that they weren't even talking to each other that made it worse like that just made it totally worse like it obviously it's like you can't and that's my issue that's my overall issue with the institution of monarchy is that these people are so not proactive like they will wait until the things have fallen apart to be like, oh, maybe we should step in and do something. And it's like, duh, like you guys have so much time in like history to know like if something's bad, you need to step in and deal with it. Like you can't wait until things fester and get so terrible to then try to be involved. Like it's too late. It is too late for that. Yeah. So I don't know. But. Like Margaret doesn't go get mental help and help until after she like almost commits suicide. You know, it's, and and the person here, and the funny enough, the person her, the person who kind of in the show for, tells her to get mental help is Prince Charles. He was like, "Yeah, no, I see somebody and talk to, you, but Charles, you're still on your same old bullshit." So, I'm like, yeah, not the right people. like some weird, not the great there. I don't, I don't think you're the person, you know, who should be helping me in this situation. But yeah, like <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, I did love Emma Corrin as Diana, though I thought she was. I loved her as a young Diana and capturing that youth and vulnerability and all the other stuff like that. She did an amazing job. Um, I'm so excited for Elizabeth Becky to play Diana. I cannot wait to see that because Elizabeth is a force. So I'm, I'm ready to see that. Like Diana liberated from her marriage. Like that's going to be dope. I can't wait. Yeah. I do. Um, I do like Emma's portrayal as a, mm-hmm. a younger 18 year old Diana. You know, trying to give that air of like, like everybody at eight at eighteen thinks they're an adult, and they're trying to like, I'm an adult, and you see her try to give that presence like, oh, I'm adults. I get it, I understand, but you see some scenes where her mind wanders, and you see the audio just drone out, and she's thinking about other things. I I love that portrayal, and I like, and to be honest, even though they're playing the same character, I do love the situational and degrees of difference both Emma and Kirsten portrayed Diana in a way. Mm. You still have Emma doing that whole youthful I can probably make this work but Diana, like, and then Kirsten's portrayal in Spencer was more like, oh 
oh, this is done. I'm like, I'm at, I'm, I'm at my limit. I'm at my wits end. I'm going to now express myself and, and emote myself. If you don't like how I express and emote myself, you know, that's your problem. So, but yeah, one, like both, yeah. two amazing and wonderful, like portrayals of, of Diana, especially in, especially in those situations they are in their life. So. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, I think in terms of like the broader context of like what this show means now that you have things like Meghan Markle and Harry leaving the royal family, um, obviously Diana died, you know, back in 1997, um, Prince Andrew and his allegations and that whole situation. It's very interesting to look at this show now because you can kind of understand like this royal family does not know what to do with people who have really, who have like light, who have like the ability to connect with people easily and who are just like vibrant individuals on their own. Like they don't know what to do with people like that, which is why people like Princess Margaret, Princess Diana, Meghan Markle, why they can't like survive in that kind of system because the system is not built for people like them. Like there's just no way, like when Meghan and Harry got engaged, I was like, this isn't going to work because this woman is not going to be able to fit into the mold of this family. Like it's just impossible. And it didn't work mainly for those reasons. Like they, they don't, they change enough where people don't complain anymore and can kind of forget about it, but they don't really change anything. So it's like, how do you expect to keep surviving in a system where like people are questioning if you even need to be there or not, like, what is the purpose of you still being here and us paying our tax dollars, not us, but like people in Britain paying their tax dollars to fund you guys. Why? If the people in your own family don't even want to be there anymore. So it's, I think they're the house of Windsor is facing a huge crisis right now because it's like your own family members don't want to be there when you're traveling to different countries and the Commonwealth, they're like, we don't even want you as our <laughs> head of government anymore. So they're having to reckon with the past that's kind of displayed in the show, um, but also trying to figure out how to stay relevant. And I don't know how they're going to do that, but it's a very, it, they, they will spurn endless conversations, shows, movies, books, documentaries, because it's such a weird concept to understand like how y'all are still here and like what do you mean right now like it's very it's very fascinating it's a very fascinating thing to look at it's it's interesting because like the next two seasons of the crown are like the most pivotal like they're at the highest of what we know from the royal family from like diana's death to now as well like everybody globally has like been around the same time period like you have the advent of the internet social media we're all bombarded more regular regularly on a regular basis about the world's activities so it's it's and this is the season where nothing can be put like oh this might have happened this might be fictitious because like right. like the last 20 or so years like no we know like we know what's <laughs> happening so there's no there's no room and I, I always wonder, like, how the royal family as a whole, and it's kind of hard because, you no, know, Chris, I think Princess Margaret died in um, 2002. Um, of course, you have, you know, Philip recently died this year. 
Um, and there are rumors of the royal family have actually been watching the show and how they put out documents. Every time a yeah. season premieres, the farmer's like, the show is fictitious. We don't agree the show. Like, I wonder how they sit back as a, not even just, oh, a fa- like, as a family, like as human beings, yeah. sit back and wonder, is this what the world really thinks I am? Is this how... I, per- I am perceived by people because that's the only way you can fill in these gaps is based on perception like oh Diane and Charles are arguing well we know Charles is kind of this way and Diana seems this way so we just go and crank it up the tent like is like you honestly sit there as a person like is this how the world views me and you kind of like become concerned at like how people view you especially in the beginning like before this show and a couple years prior, even before, you know, the Harry and Meghan and Prince William stuff, like everybody kind of thought the Queen was like this old standoffish lady, which I thought is ironic in the casting as they casted, if you're not a Potterhead, but I am, like the Dolores Umbridge, like who was a villain for like a sub a sub villain, like the evil lady who takes over school and bullies the kids. Like they cast her as, you know, Queen Elizabeth, and at that time, everybody's like, "Oh, that casting makes sense because everybody seems as the Queen is like this, this mean old lady." So it's yeah, it's it's hard, especially like I think season five focuses on like the mid, like the the nineties. So that's like Diana's death, like up, and I think up until you know Margaret's death. So it's gonna be interesting watching these two um, seasons in a way, you know. So. Yeah. I think that, well, I think that if you have to have someone recreate your life, this is probably the best way to do it. Like, (laughs) at least the show is very good and they try to be somewhat accurate with it. You know, if I was a person who was watching it in the world, I'd be like, well, it's probably, it's not really true. Obviously, it's other people's interpretation of our lives, but it's very well done. So I guess I can't be mad at it. But, um... I have to say, I actually like the queen. I think the queen, I think the queen is interesting because I think she is a person who, I under, I feel like I understand, I can feel some similarities of like, you're in a job that you never really wanted because your dad died and obviously you're very close to your father, but you did it. Like you, you stepped up. And you said, this is my duty and I'm going to stay faithful to this duty and be steadfast in this role. And that's what she did. And she's still doing that. Like the woman, this woman is 90 something years old. She got COVID, like her husband died. Like she's gone through a lot and she is still getting up every single morning and working. And that's, that's girl boss energy. Okay. So like, I mean, I don't know. I don't, I, I understand like you're making do with the cards that you have and you're trying your best to kind of keep everything together. Um, but I also feel like she is a person who has tried to adapt, but you're still, you're still limited by the institution. Like everyone who's in that institution is still bound by its rules. Like you can't, there's only so much you can really do until someone says, I'm not going to do it anymore. I think Charles was going to try to shift things in a better direction. And he's really kind of just like a bridge between what we have now and what we'll have with Prince William. I think Prince William will probably be a more definitive change in terms of like how the institution is run. But until that happens, you know, she's still, she's still kicking. So 
it's very, it's very fascinating. But with that being said, let's rate it if there's nothing else to say. As a whole, so far, like, because like we said, like, seasons one through four are the stuff we really don't know about them. Um, I'm, I'm going to have to give it uh, a nine out of ten. Especially considering the fact that it's done an amazing job. Like, I'm, <laughs> people are going to probably say I'm wrong. To a degree, the show feels a bit like state media. And the reason why I say that is because... State media. Like, okay, so government-controlled. Government-controlled media. Like, it's a state oh, oh. Like, you know, like, say, like, um... Uh... It kind of has like almost like a slant, like oh, you, it wants to force you into opinion, like biased media right. in a way. Biased media would be mm-hmm. like an easier definition. Like it's done an amazing job in the recent years of really humanizing and creating, giving, giving, making the queen and the family as a whole into sympathetic figures. Like it's done the opposite for Prince Charles. Everybody remembers, oh, Prince Charles, you're an asshole. Whereas for everybody else, it kind of it kind of humanized them. Like when when Prince Philip died, like if you look at Twitter at one point, everybody was actually tweeting pictures of Matt Smith as Prince Philip and stuff like that. Like it's done an amazing job as far as humanizing everybody else, but then goes back and makes Charles look like an asshole. So that's why I kind of say it's kind of almost a biased slant to really be sympathetic but you know it's also done damage yeah. to you know prince charles um so yeah nine out of ten um really looking forward to the more recent like upcoming stuff especially considering i think um diana's friend is was, was apparently involved in it um uh amina khan who honestly was also mm-hmm. involved in the production of um the Monica Lewinsky bill clinton season of american um tr- crime story which i find kind of weird mm-hmm. because that story also paralleled along with you know Diana's at that time period. At that time period, yeah, so um, see, I'm really looking forward to like seasons five and six potentially because it's, it's everything we know up to date. But like everything that's in the past, like from one to four, like eight out of, eight out of ten, like perfect. It made it made me curious. But I was never a person who was like, oh, the royal family. But I only knew about Diana. But watching the show made me like, oh, I'm actually curious about these people and their lives and stuff like that to a degree so yeah i'm gonna give it a nine out of ten as well i think it's an excellent show i think peter morgan and everybody else over there are doing a really good job at humanizing these people who are a mystery for most people especially in america i feel like people in america really don't know anything about these people so that was really exciting just to see that and also i like the show and how relevant it is because it's still, it's not up to date of where we are now, but it has so many of like, so many leads of like where this thing goes. And then we're kind of seeing the, the, the real kind of side of it of like, okay, this is where all these threads, these threads lead. So it's like, it's extremely relevant, which is great. It's a great show because you can watch it and be like, okay, well now I can see where that fits in with this and where we're at now and blah, 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 right? Um, I think all the actors are phenomenal. I think the costumes are absolutely incredible. The production design is fabulous. The music, like the original scores and stuff, like it's so good. Um, and I think that 
Uh, what's the last thing I'm thinking about this show? I don't know. But I do think, oh yeah, I'm really excited to see next season because it's going to get real interesting. And I want to see what they do with that because we know a lot about that time period. Um, so that's cool. And it's also cool that like, if you go on black Twitter, people are like talking about the show and stuff. Like I didn't think that, cause I've really been into the Royals since I was like 12 or whatever. Not that young, 13, 14. So it's funny that like other people in our community are like also interested in what's going on in the Royal family. I think that's fun. So it can be like a communal thing. So it's nice. It's a good show. And it's it's funny because you know me, I'm not a big fan of watching shows at their height, you know, because I'm always I I always say I'm usually always disappointed in like how the perception will be, but with the crown that hasn't happened, like when I heard about, I was like, okay, I'm I'll watch it, and I haven't been disappointed since. So yeah, moving on from you know royal news to box office news, um. Me, my childhood, Sonic 2, um, is apparently being heralded as a new renaissance for, you know, uh, video game movies, um, which is honestly kind of weird. I think I remember in like 2015, 16, people are saying the franchise needs to die as a whole. And for me to see these two movies, <clears throat> especially the first one, how the CGI looked really bad, and all the fans were like, no, update Sonic, and they took time and did it and how it made it movie better. So <clears throat> it soared to a debut of $71 million, which is in itself something that's usually not um, seen for comic book movies. It like really exceeded industry expectations um, across the board. Um, so in the most likely they're going to do another three or four movies, even though um, Jim Carrey you know, the last couple of days, like, yeah, I'm going to retire from acting, and blah, 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 nobody cares, Jim Carrey, but whatever. Um, so, no we'll see, so, we'll see how that goes. Um, and on the opposite end, we've seen um, Michael Bay's um, Ambulance um, kind of fell flat. Everybody thought it would outpace um, Sonic, which is kind of funny. This time of year is usually where, you know, movies that wouldn't get earlier or later releases, you know, during winter, fall, or summer you should get stuff so you kind of expect you know michael bay a big name director you know you've had you know transformers all his string of success you thought it would do better especially considering it's got you know jake gyllenhaal in it but to be outpaced by like jim carrey and james marston and sonic 2 is kind of shocking um but the thing with um the thing the funny thing with ambulance is it even though it didn't do good, like critically, like if you look at Rotten Tomatoes or if you look at um look at Rotten Tomatoes, like critically, it's holding at like a sixty eight percent fresh, whereas box office it's at eighty eight percent. Like, but I mean, audience is like eighty eight percent. Like, audience really loved, I loved Ambulance. And the same thing with if you look at um on Letterbox, it's like three point five out of uh, three point two out of five stars. Um, so it means Ambulance is doing good with the fans. It might not do so as well with the critics. Which is funny because I remember a point in time where Michael Bay is just knocking out Transformer movie, Transformer, Transformer movie, and everybody is kind of like, "Oh, I'm tired of movies." You know, this is a whole, you know, uh, a whole industry that just keeps rebooting, rehashing, and you know, 
keep pumping out the same movies, which is funny. Those are the same critiques people are now making about Marvel movies, me included to a degree. But those, but then when critics go watch Ableist, they kind of deride it. Like you were saying, you're tired of watching, you know, like studio films. This is the original movie by a filmmaker, but you guys are still kind of like, you know, disrespecting it, which I always find is weird with critics. Like you say what you want, and then when you get it, you don't like it, which, you know, is neither here nor there. But going on to the domestic box office numbers for the weekend, um, Sing 2. Um, is currently at 10, Dog is at 9, Spider-Man No Way Home continues this downward trend, is currently at 8, Uncharted is at 7, Everything Everywhere at Once is at 6, but it's in. It's the only movie on the box office so far looking at it outside of, you know, the premiere of Ambulance, which is at 4, and Sonic, which is at number 1. Out of all these movies in the top 10, it's the only movie to have seen an increase in change. Like last week, Everywhere, um, everything everywhere at once was at nine, but the percent change in gross from last weekend and this weekend is almost 461 percent change in gross. That also goes in a number of theaters it was in, it, it went up by I think a thousand. You know, the average gross it went in also went up. So, everything only where once is kind of like the outlier for the past two weeks, where in that span it's actually gone up in the um gone up in its gross and its um ranking. I don't think it'll probably it'll probably creep up into top three maybe this week, next weekend. But at five you have the Batman, which also goes on to HBO Max, I think April eighth, eighteenth. So we'll see how that does, you know, with more eyes on it on there. Of course that's an Amazon four. Um Sandra Bullock and um Chan Tatum, The Lost Cities at three. Morbius drops from one to one all the way down to two. That I think has the, also the biggest drop from last week to this week. Um, the percentage as far as gross from last week to this week, it dropped by like almost 70% in a span of two weeks. That's a big, big drop. Um, and Sonic 1, like I mentioned before, is number one. The only international numbers we have so far is for China. Um, and the number one movie there in China is um, Fantastic uh, Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore. And that's it from me. Okay. All right. So the main news story that came out this week was Will Smith being banned from the Academy for 10 years. Um, he's, that basically just means that he's unable to attend Oscar ceremonies for the next decade. But he can still earn nominations and possibly even win. So... Yeah, that's the decision that the Academy President David Rubin and CEO Don Hudson had made. Mm -hmm. um, he's not a he's not permitted to attend any Academy events or programs virtually or in person, um, including but not limited to the Academy Awards. And then they also went on to kind of talk about the fact that they didn't handle the situation the best while it was happening. So they took a little bit of accountability for that. Um, and Will Smith said that he's accepted the Academy's decision. Yeah, um, this is weird. Like, I think if you've seen, like, if you guys have followed Twitter, we've, we've retweeted some of the stuff. Like, one person was joking on one post and said it was um, basically telling him to work from home. Because um, he had already said he's going, he, he resigned anyway. And there was a there was a, a wonderful point on Twitter by Nima uh, um, Cotran. Um, she's, um, if you've ever on Twitter and you're 
looking about music stuff. She does these wonderful music services that break kind of history and everything going on in the industry as far as stuff like that. But she basically said, in her, um, which is, I agree with her opinion, that um, the 10-year ban is kind of saying, is almost like, oh, look, Luke, I mean, Will resigned on his own, and now we're scrambling to, like, form some kind of punishment, because now you have reports for saying, oh, we asked him to leave, he didn't leave, but TMC comes out, like, no, nah, apparently behind the scenes, no one even asked him to leave at all. Like, y'all might have thought about it, but no one approached him, and then he resigns on his own, and so now, I feel like had Will Smith not himself resigned, it wouldn't be, like, even she said at point, her point, and I agree, like, had Will Smith not took it, taken the thunder away from the Academy and resigned himself, it would probably be, like, a three- to five-year ban, you know? Mm-hmm. But but since he's like, oh, I'll resign on my own, they're like, crap, we can't do anything. What can we do? Oh, Will was banned for a decade, which is weird because you can't attend events, but you can still be nominated and you can still win awards. So... Yeah, it's just not... I think they were like, we need to do something, but I think that what they should have done kind of passed them by as the ceremony was over. Like, whatever power they had to do something, they uh, they kind of squandered it. Because <laughs> now it doesn't matter. You know what I'm saying? Like, now it, he's keeping his Oscar, he can still get nominated, and he can still win. So it's just like, well, then this doesn't mean anything. He just doesn't get to attend the awards, and honestly, like... Someone made a joke about it. They were like, who wants to sit through, like, a three-hour award ceremony? But I could still attend the after party, and if I win, then fine. Like, it doesn't mean anything. So it's just, like, whatever. <laughs> and it's not like every actor decides to go to the Academy, like, the Oscars. Like, Will, Will Smith's not gone multiple times before. Like, it's not the first, like, you know, he's, you know, so it's not a thing where actors are like, yeah, I'm not going to go. Like, it's... Not a big deal. You tell me for the next 10 years, I don't have to go and sit with a bunch of people I don't really like that much for like three hours. I'm down, you know? So, but I mean, he, he does miss out on the nice, you know, free like trips and stuff and swag, but the man's got 400 like million dollars. He's going to be all right. So. Yeah, he's fine. Okay. So what did we watch this week? Um, me. Yeah. So I'm still on my whole, you know, K-drama, you know, rom-com thing, you know. I revealed to the world last week, yes, I'm a connoisseur of rom-com, so, you know, <laughs> I, I'm i on the, the K-drama side of it. I watched a thing called Forecasting Love and Weather. I think it's interesting how K-dramas portray their romance stories because it puts them in, like, the most weirdest, like, places people work. Like, in this Forecasting Love and Weather, they work for, like, the national weather center in Korea. Like, m- like most rom-coms in America is, like, the most absurd, like, oh, I'm a baker, oh, I'm a gardener, or, you know, like, they give these people, like, really high-end, like, masters and doctorate-level jobs, and in the midst of those shows, like, they break down, like, oh, this is with a, you know, El Nino and El Nino means, I, I find that interesting, like, in the middle of, you know, having people fall in love. I learned how, you know, weather weather terms and shit like that, which I find funny. Um, and it's, 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 it's a beautiful ass show. Like, what can I say? It's, it's a, it's Korean. Like, I love also how Koreans also like their, their series know when to stop. they like, they don't draw it out. Like for multiple seasons, like we have a beginning and we have an end and we're going to get there in either 10 to 12, maybe 20 episodes. And y'all are going to enjoy it. And we're not going to draw it out. Whereas, 
from the American side, like, once they know they have a hit, like, oh, we gotta draw this thing out for, like, ten, five years. Even, even like, per- perfect example is How I Met Your Mother. The last, like, two or three seasons just declined in quality. So, but yeah, I love the fact that like, 3 is known to stop the show. The British, too. Americans need to get on that shit. Um, and, of course, you know, I watched Moon Knight, even me as a comic book fan, and, you know, yeah, comic book, I don't really know much about Moon Knight. Um, I do like their take on the whole, you know, mental illness, uh, dual personality thing. I do, I do, uh, love that depiction, but, um, can't wait to get more invested into the show, more involved in the upcoming season. But, you know, for me, honestly, I think for a lot of people who are watching properties on Disney Plus, I think they're only watching Moon Knight A for expectation of something that might happen in a Doctor Strange movie. And also B, they're just waiting on Obi-Wan Kenobi and Uwe McGregor in May. So, yeah. Am I wrong? No. Because let's, let's be honest, no one really like, oh, Moon Knight, Oscar Isaac. I guess. I mean, so that's two things I've watched so far funny um yeah so this week i watched well i watched the queen i watched it but i watched it a bunch of times before but i watched it again in preparation for this episode <laughs> um helen Marin is the best depiction of queen elizabeth i've ever seen and i love olivia coleman i think she does an amazing job as the queen in the crown but helen Marin, like she killed that joint like she was fantastic absolutely fantastic so that was great um and the queen is basically just about it's the week after diana dies so you see that whole what goes on in the royal house during that time um and i think helen won her oscar for this role if i'm not mistaken so yeah it's pretty great and then i watched aroma by alfonso Cuarón. Um, this movie obviously was like so talked about when it came out. It won like a bunch of stuff at the Oscars. I thought it was really good. It's not my favorite of his movies. My favorite of his movies is Children of Men. I don't think anything's really gonna top that <laughs> for me, but this was an excellent movie. Like if I had to put like a second or like a runner up to my favorite of his, this would be it because the amount of detail that he put in, the Rome was basically just about his childhood, but it's also chronicling like stuff, political stuff that was happening at the time, like in the early 70s while he was growing up. And the amount of detail he put into it was fantastic. Like he just, he like, again, one of the best directors working today, like for real. Like the movie is gorgeous. The actors aren't, some, most of the actors aren't even actors. There's people that they, he found and they still gave incredible performances. Like, I was crying at the end. It was very emotional. Like, it was so emotional and it was so good. Like, it was just such a great, well put together thing. And then I watched the documentary about this movie right after it. And it was fantastic. Like, absolutely wonderful. Like, if I had to have, like, a, my favorite foreign or international film, like, this would be it. Like, it was one of the best things I've, I've ever seen. No hype, but just like, that's <laughs> what it is. So, I'm very glad I got around to watching that one. Okay, 
Well, that is it from us. We hope that you're all taking care of yourselves and you're having a good week. Make sure to check out all of our social media, follow us on Letterboxd and support us if you can, and we will see you guys in the next episode. Goodbye.